All right, we are starting, a, we're, we're on a series of the family this summer, right? And now we're going to do a sub-series in the series. It's crazy. We're going to talk about raising children in the Lord. This is such a huge topic that I don't think one sermon can cover it all. So like George Lucas, I'm going to divide the series into three. Right? Okay. So this is part one of three. But before I start the sermon, you know, I want to tell, start the sermon by just telling you guys, you guys are just really good parents. You, you really are. You know, like, man, you're much better, you're much more parent than I was when I was your age. You know what I mean? Like, the way you're, oh, yeah, it doesn't mean handful of your parents, but your parents and parents-to-be, I think the parents that we embrace are just, you guys are just really good parents. You guys spend a lot of time with your kids, right? You guys drive them around. You guys feed them. You guys deal with their fighting. It is a fantastic thing, and I have no doubt that you love your kids. I have no doubt that you love your kids, right? And because we love our kids, we want to give our kids the best, right? We want to give our kids the best. The question we ask ourselves is, is then, what is the best for our kids? We want to give our kids the best, but in order to give us truly what is best, we got to know what is the best for our kids. Clearly, feeding them and, you know, educating them, that's all important. But have you thought about what your kid truly needs in life? Do you know what your kid truly needs in life? Most good-intentioned parents don't really know, right? They think what their kids will eventually need is a good career, a successful career. Or maybe if you're a more psychologically-minded parent, you think what your kids need the most is a healthy dose of self-esteem, right? We want to encourage our children. We want to be positive to our children. We want to take them to fancy vacations. We think if we just take them to Disney World often enough, they will feel loved and they'll grow up to be healthy individuals. By the way, I don't understand parents who take little babies to Disney World. I have no idea why they do that. They can't remember. It's absolutely misery. Anyway, side, side, side note, right? So you do all these sacrifices, including going to Disney World in June. That's what I did to be a good parent. My gosh, never mind. In the hopes that doing all these things will turn, will make them turn out to be well-adjusted, positive people. And these aren't all; these are these aren't bad things. Having a we want our kids to have successful careers because we want them to be okay after we die, right? And it is absolutely normal. Of course, is a good thing for you want your kids to turn out normal and well-adjusted. Of course, it's a good thing. But these things in and of themselves are all great, but they're not enough for your kids to become, I don't want to say healthy, a fully realized human being. 
careers and psychologies and therapy and Disney World is not enough to make your child into a full, realized human being. The way that you, what your children need, just like what you need, to become fully realized, mature, healthy people, your children need eternal life. Like you need and I need eternal life, your children need eternal life. And that's what we're going to talk about. Eternal life. What is eternal life? This is brought to you by the Bible Project Online. Eternal life is, if you translate eternal life in Hebrew, it means age onto life. That's what it means. Eternal life is not heaven living forever. The definition of eternal life is age onto life. The age definition of age here is a period of time. A period of time that has certain commonalities. Right? So eternal life is called age unto life, which is basically means there's a period of life. That's what it means, eternal life. Eternal life, period of life, you could, it's best represented in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, men and women existed in God's terms. These are very deep theological things that I give you. You can write a paper about it. These are, in Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden was special. It was paradise because everything existed in God's terms. Creation revolved around God. Men and women revolved around God. God was a centerpiece. He was a centerpiece and life and, you know, art, everything in life, whether it's art, whether it is, I don't know, work or whether it is relationships, all things about life flow out of God who was the centerpiece of life. So in the Garden of Eden, it was a place of life because things existed in God's terms. God was the center. That's what the Bible means, eternal life. It is a reality that is governed by God's terms, not our terms. The opposite of eternal life is death, the age of death. Age of death is a period of time where people are not governed by, they do not live in God's terms. They live based upon our own terms. God is not the centerpiece of life. We are the centerpiece of life. Our ideas are the centerpiece of life. And when our ideas and what we want and our desires, when they become the centerpiece of life, what flows out of that reality is division and destruction and evil and people abusing and using one another. That's the, that's the period of death. And that's the opposite of eternal life. Are we getting me so far? Eternal life is not you just going to heaven and living forever. Eternal life is living the life in God's terms now. And when you live your life in accordance to God's terms, Considering all things through God's perspective. Knowing that life flows from God. You begin to experience amazing fruit and blessings in your life. Truly, and we're going we're gonna to talk in more detail later on. 
when your life you start to live on God's terms, in obedience to his word, in, in, in fellowshipping with him, in loving him, in doing your all to, to live in him and by him and through him, you will experience amazing blessings. And what your kid needs more than anything else is that blessing that God gives to people who live in God's terms. Are you with me so far? These are very wordy things that I just said. I gave you the best example. So, um, there's a preacher, the most influential 20th preacher, arguably, is this guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician. I think he was a queen's doctor in England. He was a really well-regarded physician. But he gave it all up to become a preacher. And the reason why he gave it all up to become a preacher is that one day in the hospital, as he was resting in one of those doctor's resting areas, a, a very famous doctor, the most top expert in his field, was coming into the resting area, and he was all sullen and depressed. And it turned out that guy was going through a personal crisis. Martin Lloyd-Jones then and there thought, what's the point of me being a healer if I can heal someone's body and yet don't have any effect on that person's well-being? Well-being, he says, is more than being physically healthy. Well-being is having a proper relationship. A fruitful relationship, right? What good is it being a world-famous doctor if I can't make people well? And that's the exactly the same experience that I had last week. Last week, I had a conversation with a top partner of a DC law firm, right? Man, guys, you know why I became a lawyer? It's not because I want to help people. That's the law school answer. I think a lawyer because I think lawyers are super cool. I think lawyers are super cool. And I still do, right? And I really do. And this guy was a law firm at a DC market, right? Ivy League graduate, right? Money flowing like milk and honey. And he sat in my office for an hour talking about his broken relationships. Guys, it's a good thing for wanting your kids to do well in life. But let's call a spade a spade here. That excellent job that you want your kids to get, that's not going to make any difference in the type of relationship that guy has. Work is not going to give any power over whether your child will be free from certain addictions or not. Work is just work. It'll give you money, it'll give you status, I suppose. But it has no weight on truly healing anything that is significant in life. It really, trust me, I'm there. I know that's what it is. I know in your mind, you think, if my children just turn, get the better jobs out there. Immigrant families, doctors. 
then they'll be okay. They'll be well. And that's not true. What they need to be well is to have eternal life. Life, that re- life lived in God's terms and not theirs. Because that is the most important thing that your children need. Your job as their parents is to pray to God. Daily, and try your best to teach them so that through your prayers and through your teaching and through your parenting, your children will have eternal life. You understand? Eternal life comes through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Read it, read the Bible over and over and over again. The Bible clearly says you will have, you will, your children and yourselves will be transported over from the age of death where it's lived by our own terms. We'll be transitioned from this status into eternal life through the preaching of God's word. The foundation of the church is the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, they say. The church was established through primarily through teaching of God's Old Testament laws and the New Testament apostles' teaching. It was established through the preaching. People are saved unto salvation through the preaching of God's word. Jesus, Jesus did far more preaching in his three years here than he did miracles. Did you know this? He did far more preaching and teaching here than he did miracles. Because he, Jesus Christ is the logos. He is the word of God. And he knows it is his words. When you listen to his word. Your loyalties should be shifted from defining from from defining your life into your terms to a life that wants to define your life and to live your life in God's terms. That's why you teach. That's why you teach. Right? Over and over and over again. What else? The Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Te- go on to all the nations and make disciples. Jesus says, teaching all people to obey everything that God, that he has told the apostles. The Great Commission is going out into the world and teaching God's word. That's what the Great Commission is. And as, your, as parents of your children, our primary, as parents to, your, to our children, our primary call is to first disciple our children by teaching them God's word. How do you teach God? How do you teach your children, God's word, it really depends on the age. It really depends on the age, right? I think, I think when you're little, when your kids are little, I think your kids react to stories, right? Not just your kids. I think human beings naturally respond to stories. So when you're a little kid, just teaching them story, biblical stories is a good foundation. And as they grow older, 
as their intellectual level deepens, you take the same stories and you extract truth out of these stories. The Bible stories are amazing because you can extract infinite amount of truth from these stories. Look what I'm doing with the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is just the first three books of the Bible, but you can extract so many meaning out of these stories. Use stories as the foundations of your teaching. When I was a kid, I remember, I think we said, there was this like, Picture Bible, maybe you guys had it. It was a huge artistic picture Bible in Korean. You know what I'm talking about? And my mom just read it to us over and over and over again when I was a kid. That picture Bible had Jesus as a blonde hair, blue-eyed Aryan. I think that was troubling. Anyway, right? But besides that, right? But it was effective because he was, the, the, the teaching just solidified in my head. And as I grow older, it, I, I, I begin to extract different lessons and stories and truth out of these stories. So parents, start with your stories. The way that I teach my daughter, look, the way that I taught my son, was, I, I made a mistake. I did hard theology with him. I did, I did what I do to you right now without the funny stories. That was a mistake. My daughter, there's a Bible, verse, Bible like book, and we go through it. We go through stories, and it's amazing how those stories are related to her teenage life. The stories that were written 2,000, 5,000 years ago is directly relevant to a teenage girl living in Northern Virginia in 2023. It's crazy. Last week, I had an hour conversation with my daughter about about like when God revealed himself to Moses, in, in, you, know, you know, like burning bush. I had an hour conversation about that story with her, about her life. It's amazing. You teach your kids about God through the word. And you just try to incorporate the truth into your children's life. This morning I was praying in my deck and I came in and my son was there. And I said, son, I prayed for you. He goes, okay, right? But it's okay. At least my son knows that his father is constantly praying for you. Oh, he's another church, by the way, right? He goes, follow his friends. That's how it goes. But you need to constantly teach them and pray for them. I can honestly say I am here this morning. And my mom laid a good foundation in me by reading those Bible stories. My mom doesn't have a good understanding of theology. In fact, when I try to explain things to her theologically, my mom just says, you just have to believe. I go, okay. Right? When I go visit my mom in October, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to, at morning, she's going to wake me up. We're going to go to early, early morning prayer together. And in the evening, we're going to sing five Korean hymns together. And we're going to read a long chapter of Bible together. And we're going to pray. No, understand, no discussion about the meaning of it but it's just religion. But those things lay the foundation of my faith. Parents, you have to lay the foundation of your children's faith so that God can use your foundation, the foundation that you laid, to bring salvation, to give eternal life 
to your children. Because that's the most important thing. Do you understand? And that's exactly what's happening in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy, a little bit of background, is written as the Israelites were wandering in the desert. You remember the Israelite story? You remember that, right? Okay, let me see how good your foundation is. Why? So God sent Moses to where? To what country? Oh my gosh, please know this. Prince of? We get in the sermon right now. I'm so sad. Egypt, because they were enslaved for 400 years, right? And God led them out to wander, and, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And God is going to take them into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's God's instruction to Israel through Moses about how they should live in the new land ruled by God. God is building a new humanity through Israel. God chose Abraham to be a father of great nation. Great nation means God is creating a new nation under Abraham, a nation that is wholly belonging to himself. So Israel is God's holy nation, and he set a, like, you know, a particular geographical land right in Israel. And he's going to put them in that land. Right? And, he, and Deuteronomy chapter 6 is how they should live, how the people of God should live in the land that God has given them. And verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me, Moses, to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So Moses is saying, this is God's will for you. He's going to give you that land. And when you're in that land, you need to live in accordance to the commands and statutes of God. The people of God, Moses says, live in this world under God's statute and laws because they exist in God's terms. Obeying God's law and statutes is living a life based on, on, his, on God's terms and not ours. Do you, do you get that? In the land that God has given you, he's not saying do whatever you wish in the land that I give you. No, no, no. In the land that I give you, live your life based upon the laws and statutes that I give you. How many laws and statutes? 613. Your life, you have to organize society, you have to organize your relationships, you have to organize your families, like, like the relationship between other people. Let the statutes and the rule of God govern you. Because the people of God live and exist in God's term and not their own. Are you with me so far? What did the word of God reveal? The word of God revealed God's holiness. God's the, 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 the 600, 613 statutes reveals the character of God. It shows Israel and the world who God is. So number one purpose of the law, it reveals to us who God is. Look, God is transcendent. He is omnipotent, omniscient. He is above and beyond our comprehension. 
And yet he makes himself known to us. How? First of all, through his word. How do you know God? Look at his word. Look at his laws. These laws tell you who God is. The second thing the law of God does, the law of God teaches you how to love God. How do you love God? You obey his commands. Look, the father of liberal theology is this guy named Schleiermacher. A lot of Germans, a lot of liberal. Like, I went to seminary. I looked at, I studied like tons of liberal theologians, all Germans. It's weird, right? Schleiermacher is a father of liberal theology. And what Schleiermacher taught was, he says, Christianity is not about outward religious observance. Christianity is having an experience with God. You need to have an experience with God, man. It is about an individual, personal experience. Forget truth, forget obedience, forget religious rituals. It's just experience. Unfortunately, a lot of Korean churches out there have the same mentality. You just need to experience God to love him. But God is telling Moses, the people of God love God by obeying his commands. Single people, how do you love God? Don't have relations with your people that you don't, don't sleep with people that you shouldn't sleep with. That's how you love God. Married people, husbands, how do you love God? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sisters, how do you love your husbands? Submit to your husbands as, as the church submits to Christ. There is no such thing as feeling for God one way and living differently in another way. Those don't exist. Those, that, that dichotomy doesn't exist in the Bible. You love God by obeying him. That's what the word of God teaches, how you love God. You can tell me, do you love God? Sure, Pastor Jay, I love God. How do, you know love, how do you know that you love God? Oh, because I had a religious experience when I was a teenager. Fine and dandy, but your religious affection is not an indicator whether you love him or not. It's your obedience. Three, the law of God tells you how to love people. How do you love people? Respect their boundaries. Don't be jealous of them. Don't be wrathful against them. Don't lust after them. That's how you love people. So that's why Israel, in God's land, in God's kingdom, living in God's terms, had to live in accordance with God's commandments. And there's a blessing that comes when a person lives in, a, lives in God's terms. Right? That's what these verses, that's what verse 2 is about, right? Verse 2, that, that you've you got to obey the statutes and rules, that you may fear the Lord your God and your sons and your sons' sons by keeping all the statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, so that your days may be long. Let's go to verse 3. Hear, therefore, Israel, to be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, Lord your fathers, has promised. So he's saying, if you, if Israel... If you live your life in God's terms, 
God will bless you. The blessings that God has promised Israel is related to the land. Israel's, and I'm going to talk about this when we talk about infant baptism. God's promise to Israel is tied to the land. So God is saying, if you look at the Bible, if you live your life in God's terms through God's statutes, what's going to happen? God's going to bless you, bless Israel, not you. God's going to bless, bless Israel with material blessing, with prosperity and physical possessions. In the Old Testament, the blessings of God is directly tied to wealth. That's why Abraham was rich. That's why Job was rich. That's why Lot was rich. That's why Solomon was rich. David was rich. A life, this isn't, if you clip it, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty prosperity gospel, I'm not, but I'm telling you though, in the Old Testament, the blessings are directly tied to material possessions. Also, so if they live in accordance with God's commandment, prosperity, material blessing. If they live in accordance to God's command in God's terms, Israel will be protected by, God, by, 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 by the enemies. Israel was surrounded by many, many different tribes and many, many different kingdoms. And all of them wanted to, wanted to just wanted to invade Israel. Even now, still the same case. People are just going after Israel all the time. And God says to Israel, if you obey my command, if you live your way, if you run your country in my terms, I will protect you from your enemies. He also says, if you live in my terms my way, I will give healing to you, physical healing to you. I will give you, like, you know, many, many children back in, the, back in Israel time and maybe even back in Korea's time, sign of your blessing is tied to the number of children you have. So God is promising Israel, if you are faithful to me, if you live your life in my terms, you will be blessed with descendants. Some of these promises are not related to us now, right? But the main point that I want to make is there are blessings that come to people who live, who have eternal life, who live their lives in God's terms. And that blessing, similar and, and greater blessings, are given to the people of God in this era. Just like God blessed people who live their lives in his terms and not their own, God, too, gives blessings to people in this life who live their lives in God's terms and not their own. There are blessings to eternal life. What are some of those blessings? Blessing of eternal life, number one, is salvation. The central message of the New Testament is the offer of salvation. If you come into repentance and faith in Christ, God will save you. God will forgive you. God will make you his own. This is really, really important to your children. Listen to me carefully. Your children, as they grow older, will know there's something broken inside of them. They may not voice it. 
They may not psychologically put those words in it, but as they grow older, they will know there's something in them that is not right, something in them that is not acceptable. Something in them they know that that's not lovable. Insecurity stems from an idea, from, from a sense that I am not enough. You all have it. I have it. The sense that we are not enough. We constantly spend our lives getting jobs, impressive jobs, driving impressive cars, getting impressive titles, just to mask our unacceptability. But no amount of anything can ever cure you of that voice that says you're wrong, you're not in the right, that you're not lovable. That sense comes from isolation from God and the awareness of their sins. Your children are little right now, but as they grow to trust me when I say, as they get a sense of who they are, they will know that they're not acceptable and loved. And I tell you, you don't have the power to tell them otherwise, to make them believe otherwise. You can, you can tell your kids, I love you, I love you, I love you, but that's not going to cure the voice in their heads. It's not. I tried it. It does not. No amount of money, no amount of Disney World, no matter how many Ivy League degrees can ever cure them of that voice that says, I'm not good enough, that I'm not loved, that I'm not accepted. You don't have the power to cure that in them. You don't. They need salvation. They need to know God loves them and forgave them, and, and he's calling them, calling them his own. That true sense of that idea is the thing that will free your children from a lifetime of misery that is only given by God. You can't give it to them. Do you understand? The blessings of eternal life is knowing that you're saved and forgiven and accepted. That everyone else in the world can reject you, but God, Christ will never leave you. Do you know the amazing blessing to go through life with that awareness is? It's the best thing in the world. Right? Another benefit, blessing of people who have eternal life is God gives them the Holy Spirit. God himself resides with your children, leading them, providing for them, correcting them, freeing them from misery, giving daily illumination of what life is. God himself 
is in the life of your children if they have eternal life. Look, this morning I was kind of geeking over butterfly effect. You know what a butterfly effect is? Butterfly effect is not, if you go back in time, like you step on a butterfly, all things will change. That's a, that's a dumb Aston Kutcher movie. Butterfly effect is this. It says everything in the universe, though it appears chaotic, if you look at it long enough, everything in the universe forms a pattern. It happens, everything that occurs within a certain pattern. And the pattern that all things happen is the shape of a butterfly. No matter all random things in the universe stick to a pattern, and that pattern looks like a butterfly. That's what the butterfly effect is, which means there's nothing that is really random. Everything half flows into a certain structure. And I was geeking out about this because God is the one who controls how all, he's the one who erected the structure of all things and all things in the universe flows in accordance to the structure that God created. And I was geeking out because this God who controls the structures of the universe is personally in my life. He can personally be in your kid's life providing for them, directing them, feeding them, loving them, testifying of the truth to them, that is the greatest thing in the world. Holy Spirit can be in your children's life, y'all. Isn't that a better than an MD degree? Or being a partner at a DC law firm? What can be compared to the presence of God in the life of your children? Nothing. Right? What else? The blessings of people who live in God's terms is peace. What is peace? Peace is shalom. Peace doesn't mean, oh, if you're a good man, that's not peace. Peace means rest restoration of things that were once broken. Peace means things that were once broken are, putting back, are, 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 are being rebuilt back again. Man's relationship with God, everything was destroyed because men sinned against God and all things are destroyed. If, now that God has mended his relationship with us, when God mends his relationship with us, he starts to restore broken things in our lives. Guys, the individual sins that you and I go through, the individual behavior of sins that we experience is a symptom of your brokenness. Do you know this? I was so excited by this. As of yesterday, Virginia passed a law where you can no longer, you need age verification to access adult sites. You can't go to, if you look, they, block, they automatically block you. You can't freely Google that stuff anymore in Virginia. You need to enter your age. You, you need to make an effort to access those sites. I go, pray the Lord. Right? Dude, now you have to make, make an effort. Dudes have no excuse. To access those sites, you need to make a concerted effort to access those sites. You need to work to access those sites. And I was so happy. But let's be honest. It's not the most impenetrable thing. 
It takes a little bit of effort, but you can access those sites if you want to. Right? You can. It makes you think about it for a brief time, but you can. Because the problem with certain men's proclivity to certain sites, the issue is not that one individual issue. The issue is not primarily lust. Lust is a representation of a greater brokenness that we have. And one, once God heals the underlying brokenness, all the other behavior issues resolve themselves. That's why my favorite guy, Beckett Cook, lived a homosexual lifestyle for almost 50 years, met God in an instant. God shifted. God restored what was broken in him almost instantaneously. And when God did that, he has no other interest in a homosexual lifestyle. Because what, is un what was broken inside of him was beginning to be healed. My dear friends, I know you love your kids. I love your kids too. But they're young, but you know as they grow older, you're going to start seeing their brokenness. You will. And the only way that their brokenness can be mended is if the Holy Spirit is involved leading them and making them see God. I think therapy is a good idea. It is. But it's not the ultimate solution. Read literature. Therapy is not what it Therapy doesn't promise, deliver what it promises. It doesn't. It doesn't heal the underlying brokenness of people. Parents, you cannot mend your children. You cannot, you cannot heal their brokenness. You don't have the power or the ability to do so. God does it when he gives eternal life to people. There's so many other blessings. I'll talk, I'll talk about the final one. The final blessing that God will give to people with eternal life is he gives his people the gift of the Spirit. If you're born again, if you are regenerated in Christ, if, you, if God is in your life, if you start to live your life in God's terms, he will give you gifts that you can use to serve other people, especially the church. Your, cho your children can be used by God to impact and make a difference in people's lives. Think about that. Your children can be instruments of healing, of restoration, right? An instrument of good in the world. My mom sometimes says, I am so thankful that I have a son like you. And she doesn't mean because of my profession. Because I counsel her and I tell her about God. And she says, I have a son who tells other people about God. I am so proud of you, she says. Imagine your child when you go before the kingdom of God and God shows you how he's using your child to make a difference in people's lives. Won't you be proud of him and be thankful for God? 
all these things and many more are blessings that God gives to people with eternal life. They're not naturally given to your kids. They're not. I think we want God to just naturally give these things to them. But God only gives to them to those who come to faith in Christ. And maybe this will sound harsh to you, but that is determined, that is up to God. Because this is the harsh part. Your children, as we once were, are not interested in the things of God. Back to Deuteronomy 6, God says, in this land, you live in accordance to my statutes and my commands. And Israel says, yes, Lord, hot dog, we will do it. And the moment they set foot in that new land, what happened? Sin, disobedience, because they didn't really want to. Let's be, let's be honest, your kids don't really want to. You can tell them about God, and when they're young, they will agree with you. But as they grow older, the spirit of the age and the spirit of rebellion will grab hold of them, and they're not really interested in things of God. They won't be. They won't be. And if they're not interested, and they want, and they, they, they don't want to define their lives in God's terms. They want to define life in their terms. That's what I'm facing with my children. They constantly want to define the world based upon their understanding and not about God. That's the reality of your children and my children. That's why we need to teach and we need to pray. But lastly, most importantly, you need to experience the blessing that God gives in your life. Because if your kids are not experiencing the blessings of God coming true in your life, what, persuas what persuasion would you have over your kids? If you tell your kids, read the Bible, and if you and I live, con if you, you and I live contrary to God's law, and if you and I only just live our lives by our own terms rather than God's terms, and if you and I don't experience the blessings of God, how can we be witnesses to our kids? You cannot save your children by just driving them and dropping them off of VBS. You are the witness, and I am the witness of the reality of God in our children's lives. Your children learn far more from, what, from observing you than what you tell them, right? That's why God says, and this is what I'm ending. God says, you have to love me with your whole heart, with your soul, with all your might. That's what it says. The word heart means, in the Old Testament, it means everything about a person. Heart means your body, because heart is a physical organ that controls your life. In the Old Testament, heart, they believed, was also where intelligence lied. They didn't have the concept of the brain. They thought intelligence lied within the heart. Heart is a place of emotions. Heart is a place where you decide to do something. So when God says, love me with all your heart, he means love me with your mind, love me with your emotions, love me with your decisions. 
Soul here means, it's not an internal soul. Soul here means your body. It's weird. In the Old Testament, soul means your body. Soul means throat. Like it mean, In the Old Testament, it means, um, I don't know what it means. Old Testament, it, 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 so word soul is nephesh, which means throat. And throat is where their all physical life comes, flows through. So when God says, love me with your soul, he means your body, your throat, your body. Love me with your might means love me with everything. The word might here means everything. When you love God with your mind, with your emotions, with your affections, with your decisions, when you love God with your body, when you devote your life to him, when you start revolving your life around him, you will experience the blessing that I just talked about. And when you experience the blessing that I talk, just talked about, you will be amazing witnesses to your kids. So the best way that you evangelize to your kids is live out the blessings of God by devoting yourself to God, revolving your lives around God, defining your life in God's terms and not yours. Then your kids will see how true God is. That's how you raise your kids. Let's pray. Uh, if you're